0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin.
1: This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Glenn Tranter. Glenn, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Hey, Kevin. Really pleased to be here. So tell our audience a little bit about Glenn Tranter. Yeah,
0: I'd like to really go back to my childhood. I I spent my first 14 years on a 1,200-acre farm that my dad managed. So a strong work ethic was built into me from a very early age. Um, I started playing in a semi-professional basketball league when I was 16 years old, so when I was still at high school, and uh, I wanted to be a professional basketballer but um, injuries and a lack of ability sort of parlayed that uh, goal that I had. So I found myself into IT and um, I worked exceptionally hard in IT, worked for a US company. Mm-hmm. I worked my way up through the ranks. And um, in, I was, ended up looking after Southeast Asia for a division um, and that was in 2006. And I used to work just crazy, crazy hours. So mm. my, my wife would tell me that I couldn't keep it up. So it was a terrific advice. And I just ignored her. And, and the reason I ignored her, you know, I was very successful. Most years, the business divisions I run had double-digit growth. Um, I made more money than what I ever thought I could make in my entire life. Um, and I was enjoying what I, what I was doing and that work ethic that I had in me as a child, it it really shone through and that all came to a screaming halt in 2006 because I burnt out. Mm. Um, I, I burnt out to the extent that I was unable to work for 15 months. So that, uh, advice that my wife gave me. I really should have listened to. So that was a very uh, humbling experience, a very character building experience and, and a challenging experience to get through. And one of the things to get better, I was doing meditation. And that wasn't the only thing that got me better. And being an athlete having an athletic background if you if you ever had an injury you would strap it up and get out there and keep on playing well when things are happening to your mind you can't really strap your mind up Mm. um and and that was something that meditation really helped me with and i was at a zen monastery my 16 year old son was only two years old at the time and he was um running around the zen monastery kicking a soccer ball around and i was there for an hour talking to the um the chief monk or the head monk of the monastery and he just wanted to improve he was a vietnamese guy and he wanted to improve his english and what he did he said to me oh you seem to be getting better i said i am he says what do you want to do when you go back to work and i told him all the negative things that i didn't want to do because mm. i didn't want to go back to the world i was coming out of and he said to me i think you should help people and i'm like how can i help people I've got no idea. And he goes, Oh, time's up. So he left me (laughs) a week to ponder that thought, which was very, very clever of him. And and I worked that out in, in a week's time. So I got into uh, productivity Uh, worked for essentially a time management company where it was helping people uh, achieve their work far, far easier. And -hmm. I spent eight to nine years there and absolutely loved what I was doing. And then the directors fell out of love and, um, they shut down the East coast of Australia one day. So I came home and I was cooking on the barbecue. I told my wife, Sam, and um, I worked out my own business plan on the, it was literally on the back of an envelope. And I'm going, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. So hence Glenn Trana consulting was born in 2015. And what I do is I help people and and businesses be more effective at what they do. So it's a productivity lens that I look through. And it's, I absolutely love what I do. And it just has me jump out of bed every day.
1: So I, I see a lot of people that are kind of in the consultancy space in, in various capacities. So what is the, when you're talking to a, an SME, you know, company owner or whatever, what's the biggest hurdle that, that you have to overcome in their in their mindset or any objections that they have or whatever to really get them to buy into the need for your consultancy services?
0: Yeah, that it, it's a really good question that you ask. And and I think it's important is to who you talk to. See, I like talking to the decision makers. I, yeah. I've, I've got experience in running businesses. So I've got a real understanding of what's going on. What I do know is there's a significant difference between being busy and being effective. Mm. And I've been guilty of that in in my life, you know. I I don't think I would have had, I'll call it a breakdown in 2006, if I wasn't so busy, if I was more effective of what I was doing. So what we've really got to understand is whether or not people are achieving their targets and if they are, great. If that's the case, what's the impact on the individual? So is it scalable? Is it sustainable? So we really start focusing on those aspects. So a business that's doing well are prepared to invest in their people a little bit more on that angle. The business that isn't doing so well, so the people aren't necessarily achieving their targets, then it's really about freeing them up so they can spend more time on the things that really matter mm, so they can good. make a difference. So it's really having that business discussion.
1: If you had to kind of identify a, a very narrow niche that you really drill down on in, in your particular consultancy space, what would that be? Well, I would say that's all changed. I would say with COVID-19, <laughs> I mean, just recently, that is yeah, exactly yeah, just right.
0: recently, absolutely, completely changed. And, and really, this topic of startups, it, it's really interesting because the whole world's almost a startup with what we're going through. What a great moment. analogy, yes. Yeah, it, it really is. So, so let's talk about me for, for a little moment here, is that um, two weeks ago, I had two months worth of work that disappeared overnight. So that was two, mo- two months worth of work on speaking engagements, of running offsites, of running training programs, of running coaching programs. Now, a number of those things could be moved to uh, online, but because of the fiscal impact on the organizations, they're a little bit unsure. So that disappeared overnight. So I'm not going to get any speaking engagements for a a while, I'm going to guess. Um, So I I really had to just flip my business literally within two days as to what makes sense. And one of the things that I do when I coach people in productivity is that they might be working in office, they might be working from home, I don't really care where they're working. So it made sense to me to put more on an emphasis of helping people to work from home. Because a lot of these people at the moment, they haven't asked to work from home and they've been thrown in there. And what we do know about people who work from home, some people do it really, really effectively. Whereas other people are quite ineffective at doing it. They actually work longer hours. So they think reducing the commute that they'll work less hours, but they're actually working longer hours, Mm. getting less done. They think that um, they'll get more done without the uh, interruptions from a business of being in a busy office, but they find there's a greater number of distractions at home. So, um, and they procrastinate more even though they know exactly what to do so it, it's a real real issue that a lot of people are, are, are struggling with at the moment so um, and what i'm seeing what's happening in the market at the moment there's this bit of a panic hey we've got to get everyone working from home let's get everyone zoom access we could at least communicate yeah um and a lot of people are thinking this is a technology issue it's not a technology issue so technology is something that supports it mm-hmm. it's it's more of a people issue. So it's really about how's the team going to engage? How are they going to collaborate? How's the individual going to get their work done? And I see there's a, a really huge niche in that for me at the moment. So mm-hmm. not for the people that, um, that are doing it well. It's for those that are struggling with it.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I love the way that you've kind of identified this new you know, opportunity in the midst of a crisis. Because I I cannot agree with you more that I think that when we come out of this, we will be changed irrevocably. So I mean, I, I think that there will be, you know, business as usual will not exist on the backside of of this of this transition of this pandemic. Because I do think that companies that kind of have have had to transition to a more remote remote workforce their employees will not want to go back to the way it was before or they'll they'll see real benefits in in this dispersed you know workforce if they've if they've been successful in transitioning to it so i mean would you agree that that you think that's that's coming
0: Oh, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. And it's coming for a number of reasons. So one is that it, it reduces their real estate costs and the, the expense of running for an sure. office. Um, there will be the people push being the other angle. Um, but what's not really being spoken about at the moment is that it's a tough economic climate that we're looking right into at the moment. Um, and some companies, are, the worst phrase I've heard over the last two weeks has been stood down. There are people being stood, quite a number of really good operators are being stood down. Yeah. And there will be more of that to come. So my concern is with people that they can present themselves in their best light and demonstrate that they're making a really, really positive contribution. Now, the other side of this, the flip side is, um, we know that a lot of jobs are going to disappear because of machine learning, because of artificial intelligence, because of robots as well. Mm-hmm. So work as we knew it is changing anyway, and I think that aspect just speeds up. Because why? Uh, while uh, technical equipment can get viruses, they they cannot get the coronavirus. Right. And and I I just think there's Silicon Valley companies who are seeing this as a real, real, real opportunity for themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I could not. I mean, once again, I, I applaud your, your kind of your foresight to be able to look into the, this, you know, crystal ball of the future and kind of see where we're headed. And it's, it's almost like a futurist approach that says, you know, this is exactly what it's going to look like in, in three to six months. And, and companies that, that can't make this transition are going to, I think, find it very difficult, not just even if they survive economically, I think they're going to have more competition for hiring top talent if they're not offering these more flexible working arrangements and, and you know, just the differing way to do business in kind of this next 2.0, you know, phase that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Oh, mo- most definitely. Most definitely. Definitely. It's such a change situation,
0: but I always come back to it. It's some really basic principles that we have to do, and what we have to do is we're employed to do a role, and we've got some form of targets, and we have people have varying degrees in their ability to achieve those targets. Mm-hmm. So a four day work week is a, is a push that's really happening. And and that's going to slow down by the way, at the moment with what's everything that's going on at the moment. (laughs) Um, But at the heart of the four day work week is you've got to be able to do five days worth of work in four. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the heart of that is productivity. In essence, it's productivity. Now, it's an initiative that works because it's a win-win situation. It's a win for the company to get productivity gains. It's a win for the individuals to get the same pay of doing five days' worth of work in four. Yeah, And and we've never had these situations because normally been the company has taken the productivity gains. So um, lots of different dynamics are happening at the moment with what's going on, but it will still ultimately be we have to get our highly important work done. We've got to make an impact So how can we amplify our own impact and I, I think productivity sits at the absolute heart of that.
1: So you you made this transition in what you said 2015 you kind of you kind of went on your own and, and started yep. your consultancy Yes that's correct. So had, was it was it kind of an upward you know upwardly growing hockey stick? graph until the the virus hit or walk us through kind of the last three or four years and what what's been the progression of you of you launching out on your own
0: yeah it it's it's really really i think it's a great question and it's really really interesting so it it has gone and been in an upward projection um In the earlier days, nowhere near the speed that I would like it to be. So um, one of the dangerous sides of me is I'm a perfectionist. And um, I've I've learned to monitor that. And it's something that I have to keep an eye on. So um, the day I decided I'd go with my business, this other organization had dissolved. All of the consultants had been let loose. Everyone had attacked the marketplace. So the marketplace disappeared overnight. So when I say I started with zero, I started with zero. So, um, and I was able in my first month, I got um, a couple of gigs and I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. But what I also did, that perfectionist side, I wanted to do a really good job. I wanted to put meat on the bone in my subject matter. Mm -hmm. And I joined a business school called the Thought Leaders Business School. And it was probably the fourth most expensive investment I've made in my life. Um, so very big investment, haven't got the revenues to, um, justify spending that amount of money, but I wanted to, to do it right. And it was absolutely terrific. So it was a 12 month, um, school did all your learning via video up front, And then once a quarter, you would go for a three day immersion with 150 other, um, thought leaders from around the country and you'd put your business plan together for the next 90 days. Um, It was quite overwhelming of being so green, walking into a room like that. And you know, that green eyed comparison came in for me and Mm. I started thinking, I'm not doing a good enough job. This isn't good enough. And if anything that slowed me down and that's nothing to do with the business school, the the business school is absolutely fantastic and gave me lots of support. That was a me thing. Mm. So, and it, it took me a while to overcome that. Um, but the, the growth has been um, steadily heading in the right direction. Um, you know, we've made, looked at markets along the way and um, got some of them right and got some of them wrong. So in 2016, I wrote a book called Rapid Response uh-huh. and it was how, IT executives deliver excellence into the business. Because um, I came out of IT, I, I wrote that book. Um, and it's my glorified business card. And I still give it out to even non-IT people now because mm-hmm. the book is a productivity book. A well, all of it's a productivity book. But 70% is valid for anybody. And the reason I wrote it was the IT sector was going through as it was becoming more of a commodity. So mm. it was there was less resources but more work to do for a number of organisations, not all of them in the IT sector, but a number of them. Um, so that was that was something, and coming from the IT industry, I knew I had to put IT on it, otherwise they wouldn't wanna know about it. So that was one niche that I went went after. But what I'd, what I'd done this year, this year was really about scaling my business. So I'd set up two really good strategic relationships, um, where things were about to take off, and covid nineteen has just shut those down and and probably shut them down for twelve months i'd say wow. so yeah. hence, I just needed to pivot the business lightly again
1: yeah and uh, and you're it sounds like you're very market sensitive and you know that you can you can really kind of read where the market is going. And, and a lot of that, I mean, nothing is wasted. I mean, I've interviewed 150 plus, you know, people on the, on the podcast and, and you can, you can kind of see their story, you know, unfold as they're talking and, and nothing is wasted in this economy and in the economy of their life and of their experiences and their, the hard knocks and the obstacles and, you know, where they are today is, is really just a culmination of so many things that, that are kind of built together. And it's, it's so interesting to see, and, and you're a perfect example of this, that the thing you're doing now was built over many, many years of experience and uh, relationships and knowledge and wisdom and, and mistakes made and all this that you know, are now coming together so you can speak wisely into the life of someone else. I mean, I, I just yeah. love that story.
0: Oh, oh, thank you so much. And, and I'm one of these people. My best learning style is typically by making a mistake, so I can sit in the classroom and. A learn. lot of
1: us are like that. But,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's normally I got to touch it, feel it, and then scratch my head, and I go, "Well, <laughs> if I had my time over again, I don't think I'd do that again." So, um, one of the things, though, besides being a, a productivity coach, a business coach, a leader, a mentor. Um, I was a basketball coach for so many years it's not funny and and coaching is coaching so coaching's yep. uh, there's such a difference between coaching and mentoring and to me coaching is about asking really good questions so i know when i was a basketball coach and we we're running highly sophisticated offenses and defenses and if i'd say to one of my players if they got into the got in the wrong spot they might have only been two feet out of where they needed to be and if i told them where they needed to to go to, it generally didn't resonate. When I took the time to ask them and say, Hey, Harry, why are you standing there? Where should you be? That's when the penny would drop. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do is I, I think I'm a people person and so much is I love asking questions. I'm really, really so inquisitive about what people do. Why do you do it that way? Does that make sense? And often people tell me stuff. I look at them. I I don't mean to be rude, but I don't buy this. I don't buy this whatsoever. <laughs> it's not making sense to me. Can you step me through again or explain it in a different way? And it's, it's really interesting because they start exploring their thoughts at that time. Yep. And um, so to me, good coaching is about asking really good questions. And at the moment, all, all I've done is I've asked people around, asked business leaders, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? Mm-hmm. Um, individuals, for them, you know, people are concerned about job security at the moment. People are yep. concerned about how they can be effective. Leaders are concerned about, well, how can I get my team to collaborate, you know, how do I know what they're doing? How do I make sure we're making progress because we're all up against this at the moment. So we've all got to be pulling it together in the right direction.
1: I, I love the whole coaching uh, analogy that you just kind of unpacked there. I, I um, I'm, I'm a lifelong sports fanatic. So, and mm. I, and basketball was a, was certainly a very crude, you know, just a a centerpiece of growing up. And um my, my family and I—we were overseas for a number of years. We were in in Western Europe, and my son actually grew up in Western Europe. So he grew up playing soccer, where I grew up playing, you know, the American sports of, you know, American football and and basketball and baseball. And we would we would look at the the strategy. Like we would be sitting there watching, say, a soccer match or a football, you know, European football match, and. And I would say, okay, uh, I want you to look at these at these guys and these player movements and tell me why you think did he do the right thing at that time or not? And and my son would look at me. He said, how do you know the strategy of soccer when it wasn't even a sport you played growing up? And I'm saying, son, this is just basketball. This The the strategies are are almost universal of spacing and, you know, Playing your, you know, if it's a man coverage, if it's zone, if it's whatever, I mean, just figuring out where the ball's going to be, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky said, I skate to where the puck is going, you know, (laughs) it's not, I have to take it there, but it's, it's just interesting how universal the strategies are. And now that I, you know, my background's in business now, there are so many things that are, that are just interchangeable you know, that, that, uh, from a strategy, you know, viewpoint, I mean, sports is such a great metaphor for life, you know, just oh, as yeah. a whole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I just think a game of basketball, it's about spacing and movement mm. I'm sure there's skill sets underneath, but spacing and movement. So we have Australian rules football here. It's similar. Soccer yep. is similar. You know, yep. all these ball sports and team sports are very, very similar.
1: Yeah, it's, and, uh, I mean, Phil Jackson made a living, you know, coaching the, the Los Angeles Lakers with a very simple offense that uh, just happened to move people around in space. So it was, it was really interesting to see that for sure. The, the same offense he ran with the Chicago Bulls. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like six titles with that. Exactly. But you know, when you start with Michael Jordan, you've got a pretty good foundational piece. So yeah, mm-hmm. there, there is a, yes. definitely that. And and hey, there was a famous Australian that was a, the centerpiece of that offense that, uh, You know that that played the post. So, yeah, Luke Luke Longley,
0: absolutely, absolutely. and I and I was in the uh, '90s. I was in Chicago for work um, because head office um, of the IT company I was working for was based in Chicago. So I actually got to see Michael Jordan play a game,
1: um, which was just incredible. Yeah, he, I mean, you talk about, uh, he's, he's like Secretariat, you know, the racehorse. His heart was bigger than every other horse. Michael Jordan's heart was bigger than any other basketball player, probably, that's ever played the game. I mean, he, he absolutely just willed himself to win. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah. it was just incredible to, to, uh, he was the Shane Warren of, uh, of, uh, you know, the, <laughs> of the basketball court for sure so
0: you're demonstrating you know your aussie sports here
1: (laughs) well i just we lived in england for a while and i knew that that he was the the arch nemesis of england cricket so (laughs) (laughs) that he was (laughs) for sure that yeah it was like a he was a four-letter word in england when it came (laughs) to to cricket for sure (laughs) but anyway i i I digress Yeah, but I was just going to say it's really interesting
0: you're saying about the the heart that Michael Jordan had and that drive and that desire. Um, in business, the other end of the scale we see that because there's some very very dedicated business people is one of burnout. Yeah. So that really needs to be monitored and that needs to be managed. Yeah. So particularly if you've got conscientious people who are perfectionists who are driven, that's a very very dangerous mix. Now the fantastic attributes to have. So don't get me wrong. Um, But it gets to a certain level where it can become a tipping point. And that's how I help a lot of business people around that level of just reconciling about what's important, Mm. because we can't keep on taking on more, more and more. And it builds up like a pressure cooker yeah so we've got to get to a level and be able to manage it and and when you've mentioned before about my experiences um if i didn't burn out in 2006 i wouldn't be qualified to talk about that mm, um yeah and, and and i think i've yeah. got quite a little bit of qualification there around that
1: yeah uh, that's a this perfect segue into the in the next question that I wanted to ask you so as as we've got people listening to the podcast that are kind of going through this this transition you know the maybe they're going from the the brick and mortar you know going into a cubicle or office you know space to more remote work can you speak into their lives a little bit give give us two or three pointers that you would give that you could almost give us a mini coaching session that says here are yeah. two or three things you really need to be aware of as you're making this transition to make it well, you know, to, to transition yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I think the very first thing I start with is mindset because mindset is so, so important. Cause I hear some people when they talk about uh, working from home, they're going, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to work in my pajamas. I'm going to work from <laughs> bed and it's just not going to give uh, lasting success. So if we if we talk about an athlete before they play their game, they may not be feeling 100% before the game, but when they go and step on that court or that field, they put on their game face. Now, they only have to do that for one or two hours at a time, that game face. When we're working, we've got to do that for, what, six, seven, eight hours a yeah. day. So we've got to get our mindset correct. So I believe that you should um, have very clear when I'm working versus clear when I'm not. So um, when I get up, I, I have to get dressed. I don't have to get dressed in a three-piece suit mm. to go to work, but I you won't have me in my pyjamas. So what I use is a really, really simple analogy and say, feel comfortable, you will be comfortable with what you wear for work is if, if your boss was going to ring the doorbell to your house, what would you be wearing? Would you be in your pajamas or not? And for most people, the answer is no. Right. So let's start with mindset. I think the second thing that we need to do is we need to get very, very deliberate about what we're going to achieve throughout the day. Um, and so when are we going to start work? When are we going to finish work? Now, a lot of families, their, their children are home from school because the school's been shut down. Yeah. So And people with young families, that's tough. You just can't lock yourself in the office for eight hours and throw them the TV and hope right. they're okay. Yeah, don't bother me, kids.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: so they're going to be having to work in various segments throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the idea of working in micro sprints. Um, so they can get really, really focused, but they've got to really determine about what's the one, the two, the three things, whatever the number is that they're going to achieve through the day. and And one of the best ways of doing that is to time box, is to allocate in their calendar what they're going to achieve in certain mm. times. Now, That's the good. kids might get involved and they might throw that into chaos, but that just means in your working style, you'll need a little bit more slippage. So you'll need a little bit more what we call white space in the calendar to move things around because if you schedule yourself, you're just going to get frustrated at the end of the day that you haven't achieved everything. Or you're going to work to very late hours in the night to achieve everything. So I would have mindset. I would be very, very deliberate in what I'm doing as well.
1: I, I mean, I love the way you frame that. And the, especially the last, the last one you were talking about is almost like the, I mean, it made me think of like the Pomodoro technique, you know, the, yes. you know, the 25 minutes on and five minutes yep. off type thing. And, uh, and really just blocking time, you know, blocking specific tasks on your, on your calendar, yeah. you know, for, for times. I mean, who is it that said if you have more than three priorities, you have none. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, absolutely. I, I love that the way that it's framed, but, yeah yeah and, and and one of the things i suppose
0: this is how i differentiate myself from other people so time management has always been a one-size-fits-all approach so if you wanted it with pink and purple dots and if that's how you work great but if you had it with green dots and it wouldn't work so consultants like myself would basically say it didn't work for you because you didn't apply the principles mm. um now one of the biggest shifts that i've seen is technology technology mm-hmm. is so flexible now my take is is that everyone's got a way they do their best work it's just that everyone doesn't do their best work all the time so we could flip yeah. any of the principles on their head and line them up to the person's strengths and preferences. So we should be working based on their strengths, weaknesses, and preferences. Now one size fits all works pretty well for 70% of the population, but mm-hmm. not hundred percent of the population. Right. So if we had a more flexible approach to how we work based on our strengths, weaknesses, and preferences, then it would feel more natural and we could get more done. So if we use the Pomodoro technique at at the moment, so for anyone who doesn't know it, it's working a 25-minute sprint, have a five-minute break, another 25-minute sprint, another five-minute break, and you might do four of these and then you need a a bigger break because you're quite exhausted at that Mm -hmm. stage. Um, A lot of the executives who I work with, their day isn't a structure to say they don't get 25-minute breaks at a time, Mm -hmm. but they've got to work in sprints. So we manipulate the Pomodoro and we say, the sprint is whatever time you've got. So if you've only got 10 minutes, then you're in a sprint for the 10 minutes because you've got to keep things moving, whether mm. that be 15 minutes, the next one. But it's still using the same concept of the Pomodoro. Right. Maybe not quite as good as a Pomodoro, but it's better than having nothing at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the way that you you kind of, you know, you wrap the the principles, you know, you hold them kind of loosely, you know, as, as yes. you're applying to whatever that, that, that specific, you know, case is that you're, you're having to be looking at, but, and I, I could continue to ask you questions all night long or all day long. And, but, uh, I do want to honor your time, but is there, is there anything you just want to really quickly wrap us up with today? And then, you know, tell people where the best place to find you online. Yeah. Yeah, I I think with everything that we're going through at the
0: moment, what we really need to do is we really need to look after ourselves, our own mental well-being. Um, We need to get results. So we need to demonstrate our value at the moment. Now, if that's not quite fitting for you, that's where customized coaching can actually come in and help you. So um, for people like myself, uh, we do coaching like this via Zoom. So that that online coaching model works really, really well and can be really, really effective way of doing things. Um, You can find me at uh, my website, which is Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N, Tranter, dot com. I'm on LinkedIn. I I post every day on LinkedIn and my marketing at the moment is predominantly through LinkedIn where I'm sharing value around. So anyone feel free to um, connect with me or reach out to me um, because it's really about how can we lead ourselves? How can we lead our teams? How can we demonstrate our value? And, you know, it's very uncharted territories that we're in. We've had a lot thrown at us
1: but we've got to demonstrate value still whilst that's going on. Well, what a way to wrap it up. And that is so, so true within, in today's climate, it's as as volatile as it's probably ever been, as far as just the uncertainty, not necessarily economic, but just uncertainty of what life is going to look like, you know, on the backside of this, of this pandemic. But Glenn, thank you so much for just taking the time today and just, you know, sharing your wisdom and your experience and your story and, and really just providing so much value for for our listeners and really playing your part in just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Glenn, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, Kevin.
0: Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.